please allow me to introduce today's guest, Jordan Deersley, the co-founder of Superpowered. Jordan was a student at the University of Waterloo studying software engineer. He's worked at many big tech firms such as Shopify, Simple, and Asana. However, Jordan has always been very entrepreneurial growing up. He even used to run the second largest fidget spinner store on Etsy. One day during his college time, Jordan and his roommate Nikhil decided to apply to Y Combinator with just an idea they've got from their school project. They didn't expect much, but to their surprise, they actually received a call from Y Combinator telling them that they're accepted to the program. Jordan's wild journeys began here. He immediately dropped out of school with a team and flew to San Francisco and started building on their ideas. Through four months of painful iterations, constant failing and getting back up, Jordan and his team created Superpower, a calendar app that sees your daily schedule and joins your meetings with just one click. Here is our conversation. Welcome, Jordan, to the podcast. Really excited to have you here, man. Yeah, of course, man. Um, okay, so this might be a little far away. So I uh, watched your valedictorian uh, video uh, back in 2017 or when, when you were graduating high school. Cool. Um, and one of the things that you said is um, we try to see failure in a new way. It's not only through the failure that we learn to succeed, so we should be thankful for them. And I was like, it made me think quite a bit because, you know, all of us been to high school. Um, and to me, there wasn't a lot to deal with failures because we just, you know, go to school um, and take classes, take exams. So what what made you want to talk about um, seeing failure uh, in a different way uh, during that speech? If you can, you know, remember. Yeah, that's a... That's a great question. Yeah, I haven't I haven't thought about that speech in a long time. <laughs> um, but like essentially the message of that was like, you know, failure is part of the process, you know, getting stepped on is part of the process of getting really good at something. Um, yeah. So I think the, the message of that was like, yeah, failure doesn't mean that you failed. It just means that you got closer, I think. And that's that's very uh it's funny now that I'm making the connection to the startup. Definitely. <laughs> That's definitely uh rings true for sure. Did, did you, um, you know, go through something in high school or, or like, wh- what is the, you know, factor that made you want to talk about it? Did you like start a startup or, or failed at something or. No, actually it was completely unrelated to startups in general. It was more like me and my personal self-confidence and stuff like that. Like I, I feel like I was, I I was like moderately bullied a bit when I was younger. And so sort of like these different iterations of my, myself and like, yeah, learning how to do that and failing at that and then learning how to succeed at that. Um, yeah, if you don't mind, yeah, sure. sure. Like, do do you mind go a little deeper on, you know, how, how did you gain your confidence back and what? What really happened that that really changed you from getting bullied into some someone that's really confident and um, um, high achieving in life? I, I wouldn't say I'm still like very confident. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think back then it was definitely like faking it until I made it, just pre- pretending, you know, getting myself in situations where I had to be or where it was expected of me to behave more confidently. I guess, sort of putting myself in more uncomfortable situations all the time. But as I got older, I think I've learned to accept things like my my introversion as part of me instead of like something that's holding me back. So it's like, how can I feed this part of me a bit, a bit better so that I can actually excel and be extroverted and be confident when I want to? So mm. before it was like faking it till I made it. Now it's like, mm. okay, I need to understand myself really, really well. Uh, and understand the things that that I need in order to perform really well, like inter- interpersonally and and like productivity wise. Is, is there like any special um, event or incident that was really meaningful to you um, that made you realize that you want to embrace, you know, as an introvert or or trying to break out of your comfort zone and really try, you know, excel? Is there any like events or a series of events like that that made me want to? Uh, yeah. I'm not quite sure. I don't have a good example for that. 
but I know what would help me do it at least. Yeah. And, and therapy was really big for me specifically. Okay. Coaching okay. and therapy. Um, as a team, we were quite dysfunctional at the beginning. So we got a team coach uh, and he was incredible, like teaching us how interpersonal dynamics work and how you don't have to be scared of conflict and all this crazy stuff. And so that helped me interpersonally, I suppose. And then through therapy, that gave me like a lot of tools and understanding of myself. So that, yeah. Well, was that the beginning of your startup? You were talking about the dys dysfunctional between the mm -hmm. team. Yeah, okay. I mean, it's yeah. a crazy situation. Like how it all started was we dropped out. It was like a school project. We get into YC. All of a sudden we're like, oh shit, we got to like, move to California, I guess, and drop out of school, I guess, and start a startup, I guess. And so all of us lived in this house, middle of COVID in California for like four months, just like, and nobody knew anything. Like <laughs> nobody knew like what running a startup means. We, we had a few internships before that. And so like we had some, some rough idea of how all this worked, but like no idea, like, we went from like the rigid structured life of school where you, you know what you need to do to succeed. People tell you what mm. to do to not knowing anything and living with each other, living and breathing this thing that we don't understand for months. And so, yeah, yeah. Everything from like a startup to like interpersonal dynamics to like your own mental health and sanity, a lot, a lot to learn. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd love to, you know, dive a little deeper on that. So I guess we should, you know, start from the beginning. Um, before, you know, get into YC and all that craziness that you described, um, what sparked the idea of Superpowered and how the three of you met or get together? Yeah, the team actually started uh, with a team of five. Uh, okay. We were working as part of a school project. Yeah, it just sort of like me and uh, my co-founder Nikhil just applied to YC on a whim. And Nikhil is much more of a dreamer than I am. So he he just applied and we put together a video in two seconds over FaceTime and submitted it. It was a completely different <laughs> idea. No yeah, completely different. I mean, me and Nikhil had always thought, okay, we're going to do something together. We're going to work on a startup one day. But we like the original idea was like an investment app, like for pooling like different sector, like kind of like ETFs, but like you could choose themes. Oh. And so that's what we applied to YC with. By the time oh, we got the interview, it was a complete, it was our school project. We're like, fuck it. We'll, all, we don't actually have a good team for this. Why don't we just use our school project for this interview? And then we did. Like the other people on the team didn't even know because we didn't think that there was a chance that we would get in. Um, and we ended up getting in. So it's very much like we just kind of stumbled into this, like from going to students to, to founders. Well, what did you, um, so it's kind of funny to relate back. I started off with, you know, you talking about failures and I think startups are all, all, all about failures. Have you, you know, thought about starting a business when you coming into university or was that a like ever a part of your dream or something that you wanted to Definitely. do growing up? Definitely. Um, I think growing up I was very entrepreneurial. I ran uh, the, for a period of about a week, I was the second most popular fidget spinner store in Canada on Etsy. <laughs> like that. So I'm a hustler, man. Like, yeah, constantly was doing stuff like that. The amount of like apps and stuff like that growing up, definitely my thing. I, I like, I like the hustle. I like creating. Uh, and so I think it, I think it is very much in my DNA from the start. Oh, nice. And, and uh, when did you meet uh, Nikhil? I met Nikhil in first year in residence. There was like some common space at the University of Waterloo. And we were talking about, I think it was like AI or something. Mm. Um, and just sort of like AGI, the future of that. And we immediately connected on this like philosophical level, I think. Nikhil is a very like uh, abstract and philosophical thinker. And so mm. I think I was just really drawn to that, to that in him. Um, though he is one of like the craziest people I know. Um, yeah. He helps me think so differently because I tend to be a very execution and like list driven person, if mm. that makes sense.
Yes. Yeah. So, so, so he brings in the, the optimism or sort of like the big dream that changing the world uh, into you and, and then, you know, your energy of executing it and, you know, laying on the ground and doing the actual work and with him having the big dream to execute that sort of works well for you. Yeah, that dynamic was cool. I mean, he applied to YC, right? I would have never dreamed to do that. Really? I would have never okay. thought I was good enough for that. Uh-huh. But he did. And okay. Here we are. And, and then, yeah. Um, yeah. When, when the, by the time when you guys were applying to YC, um, did you guys already start a business? Or are you just like, okay, we have an idea. Let's try it out. Whatever. Like, I don't go a fuck. Like, let's see what happens. Which, I, called, which, which I, remember, I called him on the phone at one point. I was thinking about start working starting to work on something during school like a startup or something i remember i called him one night and i was just like hey it was during COVID. i was just like hey do you want to do something like a startup we don't know what but like, yeah, <laughs> sure. and we actually ended up building this uh, app like this personal crm app we put together a team of other students um right it's called better friend and it was like oh. complete dog shit. like it took like months and months to build we did no validation whatsoever it was like something that like you keep track of your friends and it would like remind you when to talk to them and stuff like that okay it was the most beautifully engineered we had a designer beautifully designed app but it was trash like nobody would use it <laughs> no matter oh, how, they were my mom my friends nobody would retain because it, it just it, it didn't start from user problems um and so that was it sort of a learning that that we took together and that was also my first time managing a team so okay. some learning there, but yeah, again, that theme of like failures to learning how to succeed. Yeah. We were definitely like baby steps uh, with that app. Yeah. And then after the app, did you use the app to apply to, to YC? No, we mentioned maybe on the application that we had okay. built this built an app before, but that was, okay. that was it. Yeah. That, that was kind of crazy. You guys, um, like what, um, what did you think that YC um, has seen in you guys that, you know, accepted you without, I, I would uh, assume that you didn't have any customer at the time when you apply. We had nothing. We had, we had, we had an idea that changed by the time we got to the interview. Like we had nothing. <laughs> what, what, what did you think that, you know, it's kind of crazy to me that YC, you know, like they, they, they do make uh, some of these bets sometimes without customer, without even a solid idea, just to accept someone into the program. Yeah. Um, what was your what was the process like? And, and did you, if you had a time to reflect about it, um, what was the reason that they accepted um, you guys? Um, I think the strongest thing we had was our team. Uh, at the start, we were five software engineering students or and, and one computer science, four, four and one or something. Um, that was definitely, I think, the, the biggest okay. thing. Our team was very strong. We could do a lot with, with no money. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and after you get in, um, I guess the uh, crazy journey uh, begins. Well, what was the action when you got the the uh, email saying that you got it? It was actually a phone call. It was a phone call okay. from Gustav. Uh, he was the ex growth person at Airbnb. He's now like the one group partner that we still keep in touch with. And, and uh, but it was incredible. Like, yeah, it was just like in that moment, my life was changed. Really. Yeah, it was just a phone call. It was so weird. Like, I remember looking back on it. I was just like in my in my Waterloo like house in my basement room, and like I told my roommate that I might get a call. I might not get a call. I don't know what's going to happen today, the day after the interview. I thought the interview went well, but you know, like same as how I was thinking before, um, I'm not good enough for that kind of thing. There's no way. Like, I'm getting my hopes up. This is crazy. And then I get the call from Gustav. He's like, yeah, you're in. Uh, I have some ideas for making it better, but but you're in. And I was like, holy shit. Okay. Wow. And then trying to just make sense of this like extreme life overhaul in that moment. At that moment, like you just thought about what my life would look like in that moment when you got It the was call. just like, like I knew one day I would start a startup, but it was just like to have it accelerated so quickly and to have so much dramatic change ahead of me was like ridiculous. Like I remember immediately after we had to tell all the other members of our group project that they were in YC and that they had to drop out. Um, like, okay. cause they didn't know that we applied. Um, and yeah, we had to, we had some explaining to do. That was, I would say like the founding sin of our startup was that we kind of 
did this behind everyone else's back in a way. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So we had to tell them, obviously they were really excited. And then they were like, wait a second, why didn't you tell us? And then we had to work through that as well. But everybody okay. uh, agreed after some convincing to, to drop out. And then we moved to an Airbnb in Cambridge, like immediately uh, within like a couple of weeks, Cambridge, Ontario. And then we all decided, okay, if we're going to do this, let's do this right. Let's move to San Francisco. Let's go all in. We've got a hacker house in San Francisco, middle of the pandemic, just sweating, like trying to get past border security and all that stuff. Oh my, there's so much, so much stress, but yeah, eventually we got to the promised land. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, if you don't mind like explaining a little bit, um, what was, what was the conversation like uh, letting other members know that um, they got to drop out and then they got to come to, you know, Cambridge and then YC uh, San Francisco with you guys. Uh, I remember it was just like, we got into YC and then I was like, Whoa, cool. Uh, and then we're like, yeah. So I, I would just assume, Oh, it's YC. Like you drop out. What do you mean? Like, right. This is the biggest opportunity of your life. I think a couple right. people were like, I don't know. I have other jobs like lined up, like, you know, high paying jobs, like as right. software engineers. So there right. was a bit of a trade off there where it's like, is this a good time for me to take a risk mm. like this? But I think everyone just sort of came to the conclusion, like, you know, if if there is any time to do something crazy, it's when you're at this age. And it's the thing with YC is it's such a, um, it gives you such a good excuse because of the prestige. It gives you such a good excuse to like just throw everything out. And I think that's that's one of the beauties when you have such a such a brand name and especially like that seed funding. It's a very clear signal to everyone else in your life that like, oh, this seems like a legitimate reason to drop out. Mm. Whereas just like, just like doing a startup without that badge and just like dropping out without a stamp of approval, I, I think that would take like just a ridiculous amount of confidence. Right. That I don't think I had. And, and uh, what was some of the difficult conversation, if you can remember, like you talking to your, your uh, founders and they talking to their family? Do you remember like what was the toughest or the most difficult ones? I think everybody was pretty independent, uh, except for my not that if he wasn't uh, independent, but more he had to consult with his parents a bit uh, and, and himself, like, because he had all these jobs lined up. Actually, no, now that I think about it, I think everybody's parents were pretty supportive of our decisions. Wow. that, that I'm, I'm really I, happy I that so. happens, man. Because so. I, I, it's not an easy decision. Like, you know, uh, even though there's a signal and there is investments and there is some sort of prestige behind it, um, but dropping out of college and, you know, dipping the um, the career or not, the, the academic thing that you guys are working on, uh, mm-hmm. it's quite difficult, especially um, have su- such a high paying job. Um, so yeah. I would imagine, you know, how difficult that was. I don't know. I, I think maybe I have unique parents or something, but they were just, mm-hmm. my mom was more, I was the first person other than Nikhil that I called. Uh, she, my uh-huh. mom was the next person I called and she was okay. more excited than I was about it. Oh, wow. Because I've been That's telling good. her about it all week, like the interviews. Coming uh, out, blah, blah. Okay. So she, she knew exactly what it meant. I think, yeah. yeah, my, my parents in particular, they, mm. they really understand. Uh, that's, that's great. And, uh, yeah. um, yeah, so, so, uh, you guys decided to move in together in Cambridge and then, uh, moving to San Francisco. What, what, what was the need by the way? Cause I would uh, assume every, everything was online and, uh, you know, even the YC programs are online. Why yeah. did you guys decide to move there? Um, because it just seemed like the thing to do. And I think this uh, is like a recurring theme in like starting a startup for the first time where you just do things you, you think you should do because other people do them or because like, I don't know, it just, people just have a prototype in their head. This is uh, the words of Michael Seibel. People have a prototype in their head of like what a startup should look like and how it should mm. work. And sometimes we just sort of lean on that instead of like what makes logical sense. Yeah. And so okay. at the time we were like, okay, well, I, I see if we want it to be the best, we gotta, we gotta go down. We gotta do yeah. walks with investors and stuff, but yeah. it ended up just being us in like a house together all the time during lockdown. Yeah. Uh, so it wasn't too fun, but it, it definitely pushed us to our limits as a team, um, which was good. It was like a pressure cooker almost. Oh, <laughs> that was... like an interpersonal pressure cooker. Okay. And I, I guess that, um, mentality of everyone there is all in is 
at least from a startup perspective, it's really great to know because um, I remember when I was uh, doing my startup, I was running a 15-minute grocery delivery startup, um, and we were still in school at the time, and um, it was very unclear whether you know me and my co-founder was going to go all in, um, and we didn't really decide to drop out. So, but, but having the you know the doubt or the um, like sort of a security layer at the back uh, made us didn't I didn't feel like we were you know fully all in on this. Um, but you know, at the time, I wish that that we could do that. But you know, I'm glad that you guys did. Um, so, so once you you know all of you move in, um, what was the first few things that you guys you know just get started doing right away? We had about four months to figure out an idea that worked. Okay, <laughs> and I think that or two months, oh, three months. Like that's the beauty of demo day, where it's like there's just tons of pressure, and so you just move incredibly quickly in a very short time from like prototype mm. or whatever to, um, but it was just like constantly, I, I think it, we were working like 10 to 10 most days, um, just grinding, like just trying to find something that's stuck, just building a product, showing to people they hate it. Okay. Throw it out, try something else. Here's like a hundred different ideas, anything that sticks at the wall. Um, and then one day, we just had like a couple calendar ideas. Like it was everything from like dating apps to uh, language learning apps to yeah, anything you can think of. Um, but then someone on our team, uh, Ibi, Ibi made a uh, app in your menu bar where you click on it and then it, the buttons from like your meeting, the, the, the links to join your meetings are in this thing in the menu bar. And he shipped that in like a day or it went to product like to production level, like to distributed in like three days, he built that um, and then posted it, I think in like the YC Slack for some people to start checking out. And we had our first 10 users uh, of the app. What was that moment feeling like, you know, um, you know, having, how many ideas you try? Do you, do you keep track of it? Try? I don't know. I, it depends what you mean by try, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like is thinking of it a try, is like building it a try, showing it to someone a try. Um, I don't know. We we maybe had a list of like a hundred ideas potentially. Hundred ideas. We didn't try a hundred, but we had like a list of a hundred. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I guess because what one of the thing I find very interesting is that um, a lot of the time, as first time founders um, and also university students were like very young guys. The ideas that we think of are, um, of course, in our limit of our consciousness. That means, you know, what we see in our daily life, a consumer facing app, for example, like social media, um, like a dating app that you mentioned or something that we are used to. And mm -hmm. a lot of the time we don't really, uh, and if you see a lot of the successful startup, they're, they're sort of like solving a very niche problem that they uh, encountered. But I find it very, pretty difficult for a 20 year old to figure something so unique and so deep uh, about the problem. So um, did you guys experience that as well? And, and how, how did the hundred, you know, idea came from just by brainstorming? How did you guys came up with the hundred ideas? Different techniques. Like there's one thing I did called like the life story. I don't know what, maybe it was my idea. I don't know if it, maybe I heard it somewhere, but I basically interviewed everyone on the team for like an hour, hour and a half, ah. just wrote down every single thing I possibly could extracted problems about their life, extracted problems, everything. Their life. Is that, is that how yeah, well you did like, it? Like, like their life story, essentially. One of them was like, I was bigger as a kid and I feel self-conscious about that or something like that. Like, like going way deep, like really deep. <laughs> None of those, like there were tons, tons of ideas from that. None of those stuck. Uh, I, I think it, you, you need to have like a certain amount of like excitement to get to the point where you, you build a prototype and like ship it. Like there needs to be like, at least like a little bit of conviction that it's like a cool idea. And so when we did this like many bar thing, we're like, oh, that's some minimum amount of value. Probably some people might find that many bar button thing valuable. We were trying that and like something else that would like automatically connect you to other people you meet with, uh, uh, like based on your calendar, it'll just add them on LinkedIn after automatically. So we're trying that and like this other idea around the calendar, the LinkedIn thing, their API didn't let us do that. So we just ended up shipping this, this calendar, this calendar thing. Yeah. Okay, so so after shipping, you got ten users, and then uh, what happened? Like, what made you guys decide? Okay, this is the idea we're going to work on. It's just like the only thing that had any legs. <laughs> yeah, it, that's it. It was just the only thing that had any legs whatsoever. We also had calls okay. with our group partners. Um, 
and this was the first one they were like, oh yeah, I could see this being a thing, maybe. Yeah, this could be a product. And we're like, okay, well, that's enough validation to somewhat, because time is so tight. Like, we just spend this time, like a few months, like really, really um, uh, smart, really intelligently. And so it took a lot of conviction to just like pick one, but it's just all we had. So we just went with it. And uh, I have a question. Do you think that um, this this sort of structure of an accelerator, only, you guys only had four months to figure it out? I think so. I think so. Did, did you, what, like, reflect back, did you think this is a productive four months of helping you guys generating ideas? Um, uh, like, it seems to me, it almost feels like to, to get to the demo day uh, to present, you guys have to, you know, think about all the different problems and uh, just to have a problem to solve before the demo day. Um, like, what, what was your feeling about that? Did you, do you think that it could be a different format that will help you guys better? Or um, what, what was your reflection? I think there's two things that, like, the, the deadline itself ex- makes things move really quickly. Um, and the deadline was you basically need some revenue traction, like a couple grand at least, before demo day, or you're probably not going to raise. At the time, that probably actually wasn't true. It was a very frothy time. Um, so I think anyone could have raised with like a half decent idea, but at least I, I remember we were holding ourselves to that level. Um, sorry, what was the, what was your question? Yeah. Nope. Like reflecting back on the, um, uh, on the four month, did you think, you know, these, I, I, I would almost say that it's a not natural or organic way to generate such a problem. You guys were like, you know, pumping out. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, did you think that makes sense? Or, you know, if you, if they give you a lot more time, would you think that would, be a lot better or uh i think nobody has like a good idea like i, I think ideas are are cheap and like i, I think why <laughs> will echo this as well like mm. um ideas aren't worth anything it's like the idea you have is very likely to not be the full realized vision of your product or like whatever it is and so it's more about like just pick something and show it to people and just start iterating as fast as you can um, mm. I think that's the most valuable thing you can do. Show it, get something to the point where you show it to people as fast as possible. Don't linger too long. Don't over-engineer anything. Don't think too much about your idea either. Just if it provides like a minimum amount of value, just ship it as fast yeah. as you possibly can. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, think I guess that format yeah, is good. Right. I think that format is good. Okay. For that okay. And, and uh, I guess the, the mentality of an engineer is that you want to make something that you're proud of. Uh, and you want to do something that's beautiful or amazing so that it's going to be useful to the world. But a startup is a sort of contradicting, uh, you know, that you're required to make an MVP that's not perfect. Yeah. Um, was that a difficult mindset change for all of you who are software engineers to adapt to that and, and being able to show imperfect product to users and actually build on that? Yeah, definitely. I think this is like the most common mistake that people make like early on. It's just especially as engineers. Like they just think, oh, well, obviously you need testing. Like everything I've written has testing. It's like, no, you don't. Obviously we need to create our own components instead of using a component library. No, you don't. It can be a text message. Like it can be a text message Twilio API. It doesn't matter. Mm. Like none of this stuff matters. Mm. Um, and I think most people fall for that trap. And I, I don't know, maybe it's just one of those things where you have to make that mistake at least once. Like me and Nikhil made that right. mistake with, with Better Friend. We knew like, you can spend tons of time on something, but if people won't, doesn't, it doesn't mean it's going to succeed. We end up throwing that out. So I feel like you need to feel the pain of throwing that out at least once, or you won't actually listen. Cause I, I don't know. I feel like a lot of people hear that advice, like don't over-engineer and then they just do it anyways. They're just, <laughs> they're just like, oh no, but we got to, you know, finish polishing this. So it works on Mac and windows. Like if we don't do that. We won't have any windows users. And it's like, none of this matters, but yeah. yeah. It seems people just have to make that mistake. Okay, cool. Um, and after you get your first ten users, what would you guys? What did you guys did uh, afterwards to scale it up, or, or like to make it a relatively complete product? What was the next steps? Yeah, after we got a few people using it and validated it solved something, I think we we just rejigged like some of the engineering. So at least we like push out updates without sending like DMGs to everyone every time. You know, um, we had just like user interviews with everybody. Um, but that was pretty much it. Like we didn't have any data. We didn't have much data to work with. It was like 10 data points. Right. So we couldn't calculate if this was like a good retaining product or it met any like technical definition of PMF. It was just Mm. gut and feeling and like just talking to users and see what they think. 
uh, what, what they need to improve. And they obviously had things that they that they needed fixed. Like, oh, like you should probably support like Zoom meetings too. It's like, oh yeah, we can't just do Google Meet. We probably need to do Zoom. Uh, you should probably have an indicator that tells me when my meeting is coming up before the meeting. That's probably important. We can't rely on people checking it all the time. Things like that. Yeah. These essential things, but these came directly from user feedback. That's great. Um, so it's just about talking to the users, getting it to the point where, where they start to really like it, polishing that. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And uh, was uh, Demo Day approaching at the time? Uh, yeah, I think we landed on this like a month before or something like that. Okay. Maybe, maybe a month and a half before. Um, yeah. And, and uh, what was, was Demo Day like? Or <laughs> the time before that, I think we did another launch on Bookface, YC's internal um, forum and stuff. And then we got our users to like 80. And then I actually forget the timeline of how between the first iteration and demo day, maybe it was a couple months, but we also launched on product hunt. I think we got to the point where we had like a few hundred users or something. I don't know. Okay. Um, but I remember we switched on the paywall for the first time. It was on oh, nice. Sunday night. So on Monday, I think like everybody was going to see the paywall and we were going to see the conversion and see if we're going to have any money coming in at all. And we're all like, no, everyone's going to leave. Like it's not worth 10 bucks a month. There's no way people are going to pay 10 bucks a month for this. Uh, and then when we turned it on, they did many did. Oh really? Um, yeah. Yeah. We had really, really high conversion, um, on those users that came from product hunt. So it, oh, it, you guys it was did a product hunt launch. Okay. Oh, really? Yeah, it, it, was, it was a definite surprise that people had been using it for a couple of weeks. We hadn't even built the paywall. We told them there was a two-week trial. Um, so we had two weeks to figure out how to build a paywall. Um, <laughs> build a paywall and then we turned it on. And then, yeah, some people paid. And we were like, shit, we're worth, we're worth 10 bucks a month to some people. We're, we're worth Netflix to some people. Um, mm. That says something, I think. What, what, what did it mean to you? So before you turning it on, did you have um, any clue? That, were you confident that there was going to be people paying for it? No, we had no... like we. Because people always say like, oh, this is valuable to me. Oh, like, I love this. But like, then ask them for money. You know, like, if you ask them for money and they say no, well, that's that's the real tell if, if you're valuable or not. Not people saying nice things. Um, it's our people willing to put their money where their mouth was. And they were. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and then what, what was your reaction or was the team reaction after receiving a few, pay, a few payments? It was just great. Like morale was just like, okay, yes, we have something. After months yeah. of not having anything, after pivoting in the pivot yeah. Bermuda Triangle, like we finally yeah. figured something out. Yeah, um, yeah, this has to work. That's a that's the yeah. idea. Like it has to work. Yeah, because okay, we have great. No, I, I'm actually curious. Um, you know, you mentioned a, a bit briefly that was uh, the house, the hacker house, bit of a love and hate relationship. You guys were able to be very productive, pump out a lot of uh, great product, and iterate mm -hmm. on the product, but um, it was a big shock for you because coming from a student and moving in with a few other people and living, working 24 seven, yeah. uh, I imagine that would be difficult. So, um, what was the point that, that was really difficult for you guys at the time? I just think we're very young, right? Mm -hmm. we, we haven't had a lot of time learning how, you know, that they, we, we didn't have the knowledge that I think someone who's like 30 or 40 just sort of like accumulates over time of like how to interact with people and how to disagree productively. Like we didn't have any of those skills. We didn't, oh, we never had to okay. use them except in like what group projects or something. <laughs> and maybe in like romantic relationships, we might have these, right. learn these skills in some form, but yeah, we didn't have any of that. And we, it was such a high intensity environment, just like the work and, and the pressure to figure something out like this existential, like, is, are we going to die? Are we going to make it? I don't know. Are we going to be able to raise? I don't know. Um, so that's, yeah, it was the, the, it's just the environment and the lack of skills to deal with it, I think is what made it so difficult early on. Do you remember, you know, is there any like specific incidents or stories that would, it got really intense? Uh, nothing comes to mind you think um, no it was it's because we were living together i think yeah. there was this like muddledness between like 
personal conflict and work conflict, like uh. not doing the dishes, uh. I mean, <laughs> then, you know, this and that. And it's just everything was just sort of like mixed together. And I think this is inevitable if you're living with the people you're working with right. all the time. Right. Yeah. So I guess that's a good warning for anyone doing a hacker house thing. You have to deal with okay. both of those things. You have to deal with personal conflict or roommate conflict and also yeah. work conflict. And and it's a little uh -huh. hard to, you know, separate those two things when you're living together. Right. So you, you never, um, for, for all the people that you work with, you didn't, you didn't have, you know, ex extensive amount of time to get to know them before you move in. Right. Or, uh, did you uh, have guys I knew, knew, knew Nikhil well, I knew Ebi well. Um, I didn't know the rest of the team super well. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, actually, okay. I didn't even know Ibi that well. I think just Nikhil, I knew well. I, Ibi was just in my class. That was right. Most of him. Um, yeah. Okay. And um, and and uh, if, if you don't mind talking about this, you know, uh, you, you mentioned that you know going to therapy actually helped you a lot. And definitely, um, I guess, like for me at least, uh, um, first hearing about you know going to therapy was kind of scary for me, even though I, I still haven't done it, <laughs> uh, but I knew that I need to. Um, yeah. It's kind of an ego bomb to to think that you know we need help in some circumstance. Yeah. Um, so, like, what um, what did um, therapy mean to you? At least, you know, what was the first time that you decided to go? You know, I think like I'm a bit of a therapy evangelist. Like, I've slowly mm. converted multiple people in my life to <laughs> to the religion of therapy, um, or just to you know going to take it seriously, taking their mental health seriously. Um, I, I don't know. I think I just got some idea early on. Like, I think, I think as I was growing up, you know, the various, uh, I would say minor issues in comparison to like legitimate mental health issues, but you know, there, there were things, um, about, I don't know how I was brought up that I didn't know about, like how that affected me. There were like, how school affected me, how like my, my peers growing up affected me. And uh, you just sort of accept these things as reality. Like the, like, I think one of my internal things is like, I never think I'm good enough mm. in general. And this affects mm. every aspect of my life from work to relationships mm. to everything else. Mm. But I was never consciously aware of that. I would only mm. feel the output of it mm. in, in mm. various aspects of my life. I would only just feel anxious and I'm anxious and worked up. I don't know why I'm not having any metacognition about why I'm feeling that I'm just mm. sitting in it and, and living with that anxiety and that constant mm. fear and panic. Um, so I think I, I don't know exactly when it happened, but I just started to get more aware of the fact that it was a thing and it was a thing that not everybody else was feeling all the time. Mm. Um, and so, yeah. And obviously when I started going to therapy, they're like, Hey, that's a, that's a thing. Like, it's not something that, just exists for you or for everybody all the time. Like that's something that can change that you can work with. Um, and that was pretty like, I think the word like cataclysmic, but in like a good way for me. Yeah. yeah I don't know yeah. what the word is for that, but like, epiphany yeah, or something like that. Yeah. Epiphany. Yeah. That, that was definitely an epiphany for me of like, Oh, it doesn't have to be so shitty all the time. Mm. You know, I don't have to be so scared all the time. Huh? Who knew? Um, so, so you became yeah. more aware of, you know, why you feel a certain way that you feel and uh, did it help you to better to deal with it and, and being conscious that, okay, um, this is the moment where, I, where I didn't feel that I, I'm good enough. So, you know, I recognize it. So I'm going to make some action towards it. Is, is that, is that right? Yeah, definitely. Like there's a bit of, uh, an exercise that I can do sometimes where, when I'm feeling a certain way, you can think about it like the bubbling of a volcano, right? Mm. And like mm. different levels to how you might feel this feeling. You might just be bubbling. You might be like getting close to erupting or you might be like mm. in a complete panic mode. And so okay. it's about learning um, those lower levels of bubbling. And when they're happening, you can sort of just like interrupt it and check in with yourself. Like, hey, like, why am I feeling that bubbling right now? Oh, maybe it's because I'm worried about... Um, this person thinking this of me and this all comes back to this, this, and this, because I don't think I'm good enough because I'm, I don't mm -hmm. think they think I'm good enough, you know, and it all comes back to these, these core things. And I think mm -hmm. once mentally you make that connection between 
what you're you're feeling, that output and the the core of it, it just makes it easier to let go. I find it quite difficult sometimes, like you mentioned, you know, um, you realize the output, you're feeling feeling anxious and you, you feel that the bubble is starting to burst in the volcanoes, but it, it's sort of, sort of hard for me to trace it back. Like, like you just mentioned, you know, why is yeah. the bubble happening and what have led to that bubble and, and reflect on that, you know, um, you know, if you can tell me a little bit about what, you know, what, what exercise you did to trace it back and what was the process of learning how to do it? Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think it's just about like asking the question of like, why a lot, like, mm. uh, right now during this call, I'm feeling a little, mm. um, self-conscious about how I'm looking on camera, right? <laughs> why, why am I feeling self-conscious? Because I'm worried, um, when this goes online and other people see it, what are they going to think of me? Are they going to think I mm. look stupid? Why am I so concerned about what other people think of me? Because I, I'm projecting my feeling of not thinking I'm good enough onto mm. these people I don't know, onto these people on mm. the internet, right? Mm. So there's there's different layers in which it can like be extrapolated, right? Like mm. projection or like mm. yeah, you, you kind of get what I'm saying. Like there's a yeah. sort of logical chain that you can follow back to uh -huh. the things that um, kind of make you feel shitty. Nice. And I just want to, you know, mention the story. I'm, I'm pretty sure you know Chamath, you know, Ch Chamath yeah. Palihapitiya, right? He's a graduate from uh, University of Waterloo. And um, I watched one of his interview uh, from the Lex Freeman podcast, and he talked about uh, his journey of dealing with this. Um, he was uh, growing up in a very poor family. Um, and growing up, he always thought that he was less than everyone else around him because he didn't really have the privilege or he didn't really have the confidence um, to, to, to think that he's equal. So what he did is, and he ended up doing is to, he, he, he went on, you know, super hard, hardcore, start working, learning, doing things to sort of prove himself that he's equal of other, other people around him. And, um, you know, and, and that, that's, that was sort of one of, one of few of his motivation to work hard, to get to, to achieve big things so that he can mm -hmm. feel, um, he's equal to others, but when he reflect back, that like, he think it's probably the wrong motivation, or he, it's mm -hmm. probably not the healthiest way to advance in your career in your life. Um, yeah. he, you should enjoy, like you know, be be you know genuinely about what you're passionate about and work on that. But rather than to prove a point that we're equal or to or the same level or not less than mm -hmm. other people, and I, I feel that very common. Um, through through a lot of the people around, especially young guys, like also me, I would say that, you know, a lot of the time, the reason I work super hard is to feel that I'm competent, you know, to feel that I am the same as other people. Mm -hmm. uh, and I feel that, it, you know, super important to, to realize that sometimes um, it, it's not about that. It, it, you know, everyone's equal. You're not less of whoever you're around, you know, even though other people may seem that they achieve great things or, know they have great accomplishment but they're just the same as you they're they're yeah. no better or no less than you right yeah so definitely yeah i think um i i don't know where i've heard this but i think it's like you you're either motivated by things you're running from or things you're running toward and i think that's not example is like running from the fact that he doesn't think he's good enough or he doesn't think you know whereas maybe the better perspective might have been like solve resolve that within yourself do some work, go to therapy, figure that out. And then once you have that, then, then you have the flexibility to start shifting your perspective to, to looking forward to the things that, that you want rather than the things that you don't have. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, uh, did you like, what did, what, what, what made you, you know, what did you change after you, you realized these sort of things in your life or what kind of changes did you made, um, in your career, in your life? Uh, I don't know that it's any, like, like, oh, like I realized this. And so I, now I do these things and now mm. Uh, mm. my life is better. I think it's more just <laughs> like, I think my mindset is just different. Like I still do the same things every day, but I do it without extreme internal conflict. Um, it, you know, about like, like I, I remember I was, I was talking to Nikhil about this recently, about mm. whenever we would have a conversation, I'd just constantly be thinking while we're talking like, oh, does he think, like I'm, I'm smart enough. Does he think like, 
Um, I sound pretentious right now. Does he think what, what like all this crazy stuff? And I would just constantly have <laughs> 10 background processes running. And, and you know, like there's limited bandwidth. And so I can never really fully focus and, and, and be present or even right. start thinking about, you know, the future or, and, you know, you know, putting out like positive positivity because I was so focused on like reducing and managing my, my negative energy, yeah. you know? And so I think once that's resolved, like I don't consciously do anything differently, but I just have more bandwidth to do more. And, and it does show like, I think other people can see that I'm more just, uh, I think it does come out. I, I think it, it does. The, the positive effects do show and do come out, but it's not even conscious. Like I don't even realize it's happening. If that makes mm. sense. Yeah. I got you it. I mean? And, and, uh, to that point, I, I have a good friend named, uh, Sam Dema. Uh, he's a motivational speaker and, uh, he used to be a, a soccer player o- almost at national level. He went through a lot of stuff and, you know, the thing that other people said about him, he had a, a bad injury, so he couldn't play anymore. Uh, his coach, what he told, what his coach told about him and his friends. Um, so he had his baggage behind his back. Um, that he wasn't able to play and all that. Um, and he turned into, um, you know, a motivational speaker. He finds his new passion and he writes this book about en- emptying your backpack. Uh, and, and I just read his book. I think I thought that was amazing because uh, in, in, uh, in, his, in his thesis, and I think it is true, everyone uh, held a backpack at his back who, that is dragging them down. The backpack is consists of other people's word and opinions about you and, you know, your self-consciousness of who you think you are. And it's only that you empty your backpack, you can really truly be yourself and stop caring about what other people think and to really perform and do the things that you like. Um, so, yeah. you know, I, I'd recommend you and everyone who's listening to this to read the book. Uh, I thought that's mm-hmm. amazing, you know, to empty your backpack. I think that's the one of the few things that we could do that can really change our life in the way that we enjoy life as well. Yeah, yeah. definitely, definitely. Yeah. But I, I'll also say, I think it's really hard to do alone. Right. Um, I know like my co-founder Nikhil, he's, he, I think is able to sort of figure it out for himself. Me on the other hand, I need help. I, 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 I'm not capable of remaining uh, accountable to that on my own. And so that's mm-hmm. why I go to therapy. Uh, mm-hmm. Cause I think it can help cause they, they know how to do it. <laughs> They've right. done it with the thousands of people, you know, they're, they're yeah. the YC for your mental health, you know? Yeah. Is there any like practice other than, um, uh, going to therapy that you do, like uh, anything else, like meditation that you practice that that's helpful? I, don't know. I used to do meditation quite a bit. I think it would be helpful. I probably should. Um, I just haven't been keeping up with the habit, but I do believe that it is quite beneficial. Um, other than that, it's just, yeah, just anything you can do to get your body into a good state um, to work, like mm-hmm. eating properly. Like I, I find almost always when I'm start spiraling it's because i haven't eaten like just like those basic things because i work when, when i work i don't think i'm just so in the zone i'm so hyper focused uh, food not even a thing like and then i'm two hours late for lunch and all of a sudden i'm like why am i so angry at nikhil right now it's because like i didn't fucking eat, eat. <laughs> yeah so like things like that like did you have you moved in the past seven days at all have you been sleeping properly mm-hmm. like when i when i say about like um reducing the internal negativity this is that this is the physical internal negativity that needs to be solved before you can start looking for it so you yeah. need to get your body into a good state yeah yeah it's start from the the the, the maslow's hierarchy you need to fulfill your basic needs yeah. so that you can be happy and think about the next steps right so <laughs> yeah <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. yeah they work together yeah. it's not just your mental health, your physical health yeah. has to be good too. That also means not overworking. Um, right. I had, especially early on, I had this tendency to overwork like crazy. Uh, and yeah, no shit. I was burnt out and sad and angry and anxious all the time it's because I was working so fucking hard all the time. Mm. Like now I know I probably need to stop working at six, seven, or I'm going to be screwed tomorrow. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's just, you, you really need to be aware of your energy and how it's affected by things yeah, the you. balance the balance in so, life is very important yeah yeah definitely okay cool man um yeah so um where where is superpower now and where where are you guys going next yeah superpower is in a good place the team is is just in an incredible state i think 
And so, yeah, I'm just really excited for what, how, how things are going to start going next year. I, I feel like all the foundations are there. So on the engineering front, on the design front, on the interpersonal front, everything is really, really solid. Uh, I can't yeah. speak to like exact specifics on like the, the product and the future yeah. of it, uh, just, partly because we don't have a very clear picture, but <laughs> also because we <laughs> like to be kind of quiet about those sort of things. Mm. And then yeah. uh, did you guys, you know, moved out of the hacker house and uh, you said interpersonal yeah. is a lot better now. What was the yeah. uh, situation like now? Yeah, we, we all live separately, <laughs> which is great. <laughs> Yeah. I recommend doing it uh, eventually. Um, I think it's important to have a place away from work. Um, if you're living with a person who's your co-founder, all you're going to be talking about all day is, is the startup. Work. It's impossible not to yeah. talk about the startup. Yeah. So, yeah, now we live separately. We have separate lives. And it, it really helps me have a place to step back. Yeah. That's great, man. Um and uh, the last one. So, if there any any advice for young founders who's just starting their first startup or businesses, what would be your advice for them? Um, if they're starting really early, I'd say just ship something as fast as possible and talk to users. Uh, that's the slogan of YC as well. It's just the best advice. Yeah, Sh ship as fast as possible and and uh, talk to users. That's um, well, thank you so yeah. much, Jordan, for your, you know, being vulnerable and sharing a lot of the stuff that you go through. And, you know, thank you for sharing your experience in uh, Superpowered. I think I, I'm definitely inspired and, you know, um, just honest. Thank you for sharing all this. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much for having me on. It was, it was cool to talk about myself for like an hour. I, I don't do that very often. So thank you. Yeah. You're a great interviewer. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Ideas Can't Wait Podcast. If you have taken something away from this episode and really enjoyed our conversation, it will mean the world to me if you can leave a review on wherever you're listening or watching. It will help this podcast to reach more like-minded people like you. Thanks again, and I'll see you in the next one.